Thank you for connecting to the Bethany Chapel Sermon Link. Our prayer is that you will find the following sermon helpful and inspiring for your spiritual journey. If you are a visitor to this resource, or if you've not attended our church, we would love to meet you in person. Our vision at Bethany Chapel is opening doors to God's truth and love. God bless you as you listen. But I am really excited to be here and sharing with you guys this morning. Uh, You know, years ago I had an opportunity to meet with a translator from Wycliffe. And this particular translator was working in Mexico. Now you may not know this, but in Mexico there's actually 255 languages. 255. And many of these languages have actually never been written or recorded before, which is pretty interesting. So he and his team had been working in some of these more remote parts of Mexico, in these villages, in these mountainous regions, to work on translating the Bible into some of these new languages. And they were in a small town, a small village, and they always bring with them Bibles that they can pass out to people, available in different languages. And these Bibles are often small, they're in small print, they're kind of like the Gideon Bibles that probably most of you are familiar with. And they were very encouraged when they got to this small town and they realized that uh, the Bible's really popular. There was quite a few people taking these Bibles, and some of them were actually young men. And so they were really encouraged by this until they realized a few weeks later that these Bibles were being used because of the thin, small paper to roll cigarettes. Well, unfortunately, a lot of these young men were using these Bibles in ways that were not initially intended. And after a few weeks, one of the young men came back and he was talking to the translator and he asked for another Bible. And this translator recognized him and he said, hey, I'm not going to give you another Bible if you're going to smoke it. And he said, listen, it's true, I smoked through Matthew, Mark, and half of Luke. But then I was bored and I started reading. And he said, I read the second half of Luke and then I read the Gospel of John and now it was Scripture. And he talked about the reactions that a lot of these people would have when Scripture was read to them or spoken to them in what he called their heart language. Now, for a lot of us, this is a foreign experience, right? Because if you're like me, you, you grew up here in Canada and you speak really just one language. I took a little bit of French. It didn't go very well, you know. Uh, I studied a little bit of Hebrew when I was in seminary. Also, Hebrew over Zoom is very difficult. I'll say that much. Uh, and so, for me, I've always read and spoke English And I noticed that almost everything around me is available in English, from entertainment to education. Even a lot of our technology was designed by people who spoke English in Silicon Valley or in Redmond, Washington, or wherever it was. And so for me, the world has always been available and accessible in English. But for a lot of people around the world, they might speak one, two, maybe three languages. So they have their native language, what this translator called their heart language, uh, but they may have another language that they need to get by. And the power of the gospel in their own language, just something is different about it. And I think that segues nicely into what we're looking at today, which is in Acts chapter 2. And I'll put the slide up here for you guys so you'll be able to read the passage. 
Uh, and yeah, if you brought your phone, you can just power that down and put that away. You can just read with me here. And so it says in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. I like that question. What can this mean? Now I grew up in church and and went to Sunday school and I've heard this story a few times before, but I would have been in that same category of asking this question. What does this story mean? I mean, I think for a lot of us, it's hard to relate to. It seems kind of random, seems sort of strange. And it's been used in the past in debates about cessationism versus continuationism. You can Google that later when you turn your phone back on. Uh, People have talked about how it's a guide to how the Holy Spirit works. Or maybe it's a clarification on speaking in tongues. Well, although this story can be used in a lot of those debates, I think the meaning goes much further than that. And it starts with the words that Jesus spoke in Acts chapter 1. I'm just going to get to the next slide here. Oh, two back. There we go. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is meeting with the disciples. Now remember, Jesus has died and he's been resurrected. And he's physically present with his disciples, eating with them, teaching them, and speaking to them. And so in Acts 1-4, Jesus gives them this command. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He continues in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus tells the disciples, wait in Jerusalem. This is where the Holy Spirit is going to descend upon you. But after that, the mission is going to expand to all of Israel, and then to the ends of the earth. So the disciples have followed Jesus' command, and they're waiting in Jerusalem for this to happen. 
Now this second thread, and the reason I call them threads is because I think the story of the day of Pentecost weaves together these threads that are all throughout the Bible. And you can actually see when you start to see the picture put together that this has been God's plan all along. But when we understand Pentecost, I think it helps a lot in understanding the story. Now, Pentecost was a harvest festival. It took place 50 days after Passover. And Jewish people and faithful converts to Judaism from all over the world would travel to Jerusalem, sometimes increasing the city's population by 130,000 people. Now, in ancient times, that was a lot of people. At Pentecost, the first fruits of the harvest would be offered to God, as well as prayers and petitions for a successful and abundant harvest to come. Now, I think this is another reason why this story is hard for us to understand. A lot of us don't concern ourselves much with the harvest. Maybe some of you are farmers in here, or you've uh, you got a big garden going on in the backyard. But in this culture most people would have been involved in producing food, farming. And a harvest was really, really important because we also have to remember that there was not a lot of food security in their times. A big harvest or a famine could be make or break. So they're coming to God and they're offering up the first fruits. They've already seen that God has provided and they are asking God to continue by providing a full and abundant harvest harvest. Now the festival was also to commemorate the giving of the law from God to Moses at Mount Sinai. Now remember the first Passover took place and then 50 days after that when the Israelites are up are out in the wilderness Moses ascends up Mount Sinai and he receives the law which represents the covenant between God and his people. God's family, the nation of Israel. So Moses comes back down with the law and Pentecost was a way to remember the giving of the law at Mount Sinai 50 days after the original Passover. But if we go even further back in the Bible, we see that Pentecost has some connections to the events of Genesis chapter 11. Now, in Genesis chapter 11, we have this group of people who are all united, and they've come together to build this tower. And building this tower is an act of rebellion against God. And they talk about how this tower is going to reach all the way up into the heavens. Well, the biblical authors make a little bit of a joke when they talk about how God says, let's go down there and see what they're doing. What are they up to down there? And so God descends down to this group of people and he confuses their language and he scatters them into nations all over the world. Now it sounds kind of grim, kind of discouraging, but the next chapter, chapter 12, God tells Abraham that he will bless these nations through his descendants. So we already see that God has promised and that God has a plan. So what does Pentecost represent, this new day of Pentecost? Well, first I think it represents a new unity. See, in a reversal of Babel, 
God unifies the nations together, clarifying the gospel in each language and sending this new diverse family on a mission. God has blessed the nations through Abraham's descendants and is grafting them into his family. Ephesians 2, 18 to 19 says, Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's people. You are members of God's family. So God's plan for redemption starts with the nation of Israel, but it was always intended to include all of the nations, to bring everyone in. Pentecost also represents a new harvest. Remember, the Pentecost festival is the harvest festival where the first fruits are offered and prayers and petitions are made for a full and abundant harvest. The disciples represent the first fruits of Christ's work and the full and abundant harvest is just beginning with the early church. I like how at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, it talks about how all of the believers were gathered in one place. It was probably the last time that all of the believers were gathered in one place because 3,000 believers were added to their number that day. See, God is showing the believers that Christ's work has already produced these first fruits, but that a full and abundant harvest is on the way. And these 3,000 believers are just the beginning. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we read, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So this new day of Pentecost represents a new unity. It represents a new harvest, and it also represents a new covenant. Pentecost commemorated the giving of the law to Moses, which continued the covenant God made to Abraham. Now, this new covenant that God gave to Moses represented a whole system of laws and sacrifice and the temple. And we know that throughout Israel's history, they weren't very good at following this covenant, following these laws, right? There was a few moments in there, but for the most part, they struggled to do that. But when Christ comes through Christ, the old covenant, the law and the prophets were fulfilled. God's people are now under a new covenant. So on this day of Pentecost, God gave his people his spirit and the old system of the law and the temple was no longer needed. Now the temple was where the presence of God dwelled with human beings. But God said that he would no longer they would no longer have to come to the temple, that he would put his spirit, his very presence, with human beings. In Galatians chapter 3, we read, The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So we have this group of believers, and they have a new unity, and they're going out to carry out the new harvest, and they're under a new covenant. And the church just explodes at this point, right? So many people are becoming believers. But remember what happens in the, books, in the book of Acts, a great persecution breaks out in Jerusalem. And the believers start to scatter all over Israel and eventually all over the world. And the temple is actually destroyed, just like Christ prophesied that it would be. And the nation of Israel is brought to an end. So what is going on here? What is the message when we start to put this whole picture together? We see that the gospel is for everyone. This was always part of God's plan. Christ told his followers to wait for the Holy Spirit, which would empower them to be witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in all of Israel, and eventually to the ends of the earth. The gathering of Jewish people from the nations at Pentecost was the catalyst for this event. The believers received the Holy Spirit and communicated the gospel in each language. Now these new Jewish Christians could travel back to their home countries and bring the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles. So on this day of Pentecost, Jews from all over the world are gathered. They come from all these other countries, right? And they speak these native languages. Now it's likely that most of them spoke two, three, maybe even four languages. And Koine Greek is the language of the empire. But each one of them have these native languages. And so they're gathered together and they hear this miracle, which is these Galilean men speaking their native languages. Now, based on the text, we see that uh, Galilean men did not have a good reputation for being well-educated. It's kind of like being from rural Alberta. A lot of people don't know this, but we actually have books in rural Alberta. We've got libraries, the internet. Uh, I mean, you can get a good education out there. Uh, but we've got these Galilean men, and so they're shocked to hear them speaking this, right? But this is not random. It's not without purpose. They're speaking the languages of the people who are represented there. And there's meaning beyond even that, in that the intention, the goal, God's purpose, is for these people to return to their home countries and continue to spread the gospel in these languages, so if that was the mission then, then what's the mission now? What's changed? Well, the answer is nothing. It's still the same mission. The gospel is still for everyone. Peter reiterates this when he quotes the prophet Joel in Acts 2. He says, But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To the crowd, each hearing the gospel in their own language, he explains everything that has happened. Now, Paul wouldn't give me a 12-week series, so I can't get into Peter's speech today. Uh, but it's a good speech, and after he gives the speech, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. 
and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. See, for 2,000 years, believers have been called to tell the story all around the world. The mission continues, and we have been invited to participate in that mission. When I say we, I mean you and I have been invited to participate in this same mission that starts here 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. To be a part of the very same movement, here we are seeing the birth of the church, God's adopted family called to share the hope found in Jesus And what's exciting about this is there's all sorts of ways, there's all sorts of languages, there's all sorts of creative methods of how we can share the story and the gospel. I'll give you one example of this. Uh, One example of carrying the mission has been translating the Bible into other languages. However, there is still work to do. According to Wycliffe, over 1.5 billion people don't have a full Bible in their language. 128 million people don't have any scripture in their language at all. So on the one hand, we can be encouraged that 97% of people on the earth today have some scripture in their own language. But there's still work to do. And you can actually take Thailand as an example. As you know, Paul and Brennan and Barry are in Thailand right now as we speak The country of Thailand has 71.6 million people and it's home to over 73 languages. But a major dilemma in Thailand is that the Bible is translated using the Thai royal language, which is harder for a Thai to read than for English speakers to read the King James Version. Less than 1% of Thailand are Christians. Almost 90% are considered unreached with the gospel. So you can continue to pray for Paul and Brendan and Barry, but also for our church as we look to ways that we might partner with missions organizations and continue to spread the gospel in Thailand. Mike Moore in Pentecost and the Plan of God writes, however difficult the task, however dark the days, the harvest nature of Pentecost encourages us to pursue our mission in the knowledge that the first fruits of God's harvest which was presented to him on Mount Zion 2,000 years ago, guarantees a full harvest from all nations that no one can number. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Now, Christ gave us a way to remember the story to remember the gospel, to come together around the new unity and the new covenant, and that is communion. And in a moment, I'm going to invite Aaron up, and he's going to lead us in communion, but I want to pray before we do that. God, we thank you that you are faithful. God, we thank you that the promises that you've made that are woven throughout Scripture, telling one story of your redemption for human beings, God, we thank you for all of this. And God, I just pray for everyone who's gathered here this morning. God, I just pray that we would be bold, but also that we would be full of joy 
in sharing the gospel, whether it's with our coworkers or our neighbors or it's to the ends of the earth, in foreign countries, learning new languages, translating your word. God, we thank you for all the work that's already taken place and we thank you for the harvest to come. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. We hope you found it connected you to the God of truth and love who we worship and serve at Bethany Chapel. If you have any questions or want to connect to any of our pastors, please go to our Bethany Chapel app and choose Connect or go online to bethanychapel.com and click Come. Thanks again and God bless you.